0: I uh, want to say to you, those of you that are here today, my name is Bill. I uh, serve as an elder here at River Rock. And um, could we turn the lights on? Thank you. And uh, as an elder, it's an honor to serve. And I'm just filling in this week for the pastor. Our pastor has gone on sabbatical. And uh, I said it last week, and I want to repeat it again sabbatical is not vacation. Sabbatical is an opportunity to take a break from what you do in your everyday life and kind of get away and recharge your batteries, right? And uh, how many of you need a sabbatical in your life, right? Okay, how many of you need a sabbatical from your kids? Raise your hand. I see that. I saw some of those hands. How many of you need a sabbatical from your spouse? Who would be so brave? Wow, everybody's holding their hands down or looking toward their spouse. So today's message, uh, we're continuing through the book of Judges. And uh, by the way, I didn't pick out the uh, topics the pastor did. I think what he does is he picks out one of the most difficult books in the Bible, and he lets people fill in for him. So when he comes back, he gets to preach on something like Jesus, and uh, it's just incredibly uh, better and easier. So... uh, so we're still in the book of Judges, right? But today we're talking about Samson. And I have to confess to you, I've been struggling with this message on Samson, and I have to tell you why. So don't mock me or make fun of me, but just hear my heart. My wife Jill and I, Bill and Jill, at rhymes, we've been married 34 years. We have two adult children that are married. Our children left. We got a golden retriever. His name is Samson. And now we have five grandkids, right? And I've often said if we could do the chronology all over again, we would do the five grandkids first and then the golden retriever. And so when I think about, you'll get that later, I know I've said it before, but I was thinking about today's message. It's hard for me to kind of wrap my head around it because I see Samson in my mind. And the reason why our golden retriever's name is Samson is because the scripture talks about Samson having long golden locks of hair. Now, I didn't bring a picture of Samson because I was afraid that somebody would take him, So, but Samson is a good-looking 70-pound piece of a dog that's a golden retriever. He is of no value. If you are coming to our house to rob it, he will run to you and sit down and look at you, and his expression says, pet me, pet me, pet me, right? If you are Coming there in the midst of a house fire, he will not do anything like run away from the house. He will come and sit beside the fireman and look up at him and say, pet me, pet me, pet me. Professionally, I'm a judge. That's what I do. And I've had officers at my house in the middle of the night for arrest warrants. And Samson will run to the deputy or detective and just sit right beside him and go pet me, pet me, pet me. He's an amazing dog. He's of no value. He doesn't protect us. He doesn't keep us safe, but he loves us unconditionally. And by the way, that may be the greatest value of any pet, right? Is that they accept you for who you are and where you are. The other thing that I love about Samson in his older age in life, he's like six or seven now. Um, he's getting up there in age, and uh, we with the grandkids... The grandkids, it's pretty neat, one grandkid can try to ride him, one can be pulling his tail, the other one can be poking him in the nose or the eyes, and you know what he does? He sits right there and says, love me, love me, love me. He doesn't even react. He would be a great pet therapy dog uh, in court, but he's my pet therapy dog at home, so we don't let him out of the house. So I'm a little distracted today, today when I say Samson, because the Samson in the Bible is not like the Samson in my household. In fact, the Samson in the Bible, which a lot of people admire, honor, and respect, which really is something I struggle to understand why you would, but the Samson in the Bible was a good-looking guy who had it all going for him from the right family. Not only was he good-looking, but he was buff, and he was a lean, mean, killing machine. And on several occasions, the Scripture said, And the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him, or the Spirit of God was with him. So he was good-looking, he had everything in the world you could imagine that you could want, and he even had the eye of the Lord. But yet he was a guy who was so consumed with who he was and what he wanted that he forgot about who God was and what God wanted. So it's kind of conflicting in my mind. I talk about the Samson that I love and I know, And then I think about this Samson. Let me give you a parallel for this Samson. If uh, I like to watch, there's a show on television called Navy Seal. And there's just something about Navy Seals that impresses me. And In my profession as a judge, I um, work with law enforcement quite extensively. Matter of fact, I'll tell you a quick story. During the last hurricane, myself and our county attorney, Dee Hobbs, we got an electric cooler that heated and cooled. Um, we went to Smoky Moe's at 3 o'clock in the morning. We loaded up with hundreds of breakfast tacos. We put them inside that. We wrapped that cooler in an insulated blanket, and we went down to the Gulf Coast, where many of our Williamson County Sheriff's deputies that serve on the SWAT team were down there doing water rescues. And what I had heard is that the guys had not had a warm meal in three or four days. And I don't know why, but that just bothered me. And the Lord convicted me, so I called our county attorney. I woke him up, and I said, you need to meet me at Smoky Moss. He said, when? I said, 30 minutes. He said, Judge, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I said, don't be late. And so D came to Smoky Moe's, we loaded up, we went down there, and what I noticed about these guys, you know, they had their uh, uh, their gear on that they were going, wetsuits or dry suits, I get those so confused, but they were going out, and these guys were going out, but they didn't eat one or two breakfast tacos, they maybe ate eight or ten breakfast tacos, because they were going to war, and that day they were transitioning from going in their water rescue boat to going in their MRAT. And in their MRAT, right before they left, that's the MRAT is the armored vehicle. And they were patrolling the fifth ward because it went from wet to being dry. Pretty dangerous area in Texas. And these guys I called ramboed up, you know, all of their gear, all of their armor, all of their helmets, and all of their guns. And they were going to war. That's a lot like who Samson is in the scripture. He had it all. He had the looks, he had the talent, but he had the cockiness and the arrogance. And I don't know how you balance that as being what I call the Rambos in the world, like the Navy SEALs or what our SWAT team guys do. But I think you can have all of that with humility, right? But I don't know what that balance is. So if you have your Bibles today, I want you to open up to uh, Judges chapter 14. And we're going to read all of chapter 14 because it's such a cool story, but it's not the whole story of the life of Samson. We're going to read all of chapter 14. I have only four points that I want to make, and then I want to ask you a very personal question at the end. Now, I'm not like Pastor Charlie. I don't know all of these cities, towns, or people's names or how to pronounce them correctly. I'll pronounce it as close as I can to correct that I think that's correct, and if you want to disagree with me, just remember you're disagreeing with a judge. (laughs) That was a threat, wasn't it? Felt good. I like saying that. And just because you're upset, Stephen, doesn't mean you have to get up and walk away from this. (laughs) All right, Samson, uh, the marriage, in Judges chapter 14, starting in verse 1, the Scripture says this, And Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his mother, Mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go down and get her for me as my wife. That's what he said. And his father and his mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of the people that are here? Must you go all the way down to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. Well, maybe I'm adding a little inflection to it, but I I want you to get the gist. Verse 4, and his parents didn't know that this was... From the Lord, this woman who was seeking an occasion, who he was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines at this time that they were ruling over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and his mother. And as they approached the village there in Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. And that's one of eight occasions where that same phrase is used in relation to this man. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and so he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have tore a young goat. But he told neither his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with a woman, uh, and he liked her. And sometime later, by the way, did you notice that he liked her first with his eyes instead of liking her heart? Anybody catch that part? And so sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands, and he ate as he went along. Then he rejoined his parents, and he gave some to them, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from a lion's carcass. And now his father went down to see the woman. And Samson made a feast there as customary for the bridegrooms. And when he appeared, he was given 30 companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said. If you can give me the answer to this riddle within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 lined garments and 30 sets of clothes. And if you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments Um, and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let us hear it. And he replied, Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And for three days, they could not give him the answer. And on the fourth day, they said to Samson, Samson's wife, Coax your husband into explaining this riddle to us, and we will give you your father's household... I'm sorry... And we, will burn, uh, and we will burn you and your father's household to death. Do you not invite us here to rob us? And then Samson's wife threw herself on him sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told them the answer. I haven't even explained it to my own father, Samson said, or my own mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast, and on the seventh and final day he told her, because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Verse 18, And before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a line? And Samson said these words to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, and we're going to go back to that word heifer here in just a little bit. By the way, men, never wise to call your wife a heifer. Trust me, I'll get you to the point here, all right? If you have not had plowed with my wife's heifer, you would not have solved this riddle. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and he went down to the city, and he struck down thirty of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at the wedding." And you know what you see about Samson is you see a guy who had good looks, you see a guy of brute strength and brute force, you see a guy who on many occasions that the Spirit of the Lord was with, but you also see a guy who dealt with a moral dilemma of being faithful to a woman. It appears that he was faithful mostly to himself and would take advantage of whatever woman he could find, in my opinion. So there are four truths that I want to talk to you about in Samson today. Uh, that I think is really important. Truth number one is this. Samson dishonored his parents. Samson dishonored his parents. Early on in the scripture, you see that his father and his mother, and some folks have made fun of it because they think it's disparaging, but the father and the mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among your own people? And now this isn't like Arkansas, right? Anybody here from Arkansas before I make this story? Good. Nobody. Whew. It's not like the eastern hills of Arkansas, right, where, where you marry your sister's mother's brother, you know, from the third family. I mean, this, this, they're not talking about this. It's just saying, isn't there somebody among your family and your clan that's appropriate? It was a spiritual thing. It wasn't a negative or dirty thing. Mom and dad were just trying to protect their son. And by the way, let me say this to the mom and dads that are in the room. It is your responsibility to protect your children. And your responsibility in protecting your children is making sure that they're dating, engaged, and involved with the right people, not the wrong people. And sometimes, as a parent, you have to stand up and be the adult. Can I give you an example? Perhaps if you have a daughter and she is dating someone or is interested in someone that is not a, a part of the Christian faith, this might be a wonderful example of where you engage your daughter and say, hey, you know what? I love you. I want to protect you. I want to make sure that you're safe and headed in the right direction. This guy's not appropriate for you. Is there not someone that's a part of our church family or a part of the broader Christian family that you can engage in? And I know for some of you as parents, you're going, now, wait a minute, Judge, if we get too involved in our kids' lives, then, then they're going to kind of buck back, and they're going to do exactly the opposite of what we want. And I have to tell you, and I'm bringing a little bit of work into to, to church, so can I do that just for a moment? What I see often in my courtroom, not all of the time, but on many occasions, I see parents that are not willing to stand up and be the leaders in the home. Kids make poor choices, Right? but we shouldn't condone those poor choices or support those poor choices. We should hold them accountable, right? We should paint them on a path that is the right direction. What Samson did in this story was he dishonored his parents. Now, I have seen parents go the other extreme with kids in court too. Had a kid not too long ago and said, what have been the consequences for your actions? She was going six miles over the speed limit. Her mom and dad took her used car that she bought with her money, and they sold it. They took her cell phone, and they took it away, and she'd been grounded for three months. She was grounded as long as it took for her to get to court and enter a plea, right? So me, being the smart grandpa judge, I'm thinking, there is more to this story than I know, right? So I start doing some digging. I start doing some looking, and I realize she's only got one speeding ticket six miles over the posted speed limit, which, ladies, it's illegal to speed. Don't do that. Just because mama does doesn't make it right, right? But that was it. And so I uh, set the punishment that I thought was appropriate. And then when I got finished setting the punishment that I thought was appropriate, I said, mom and dad, I'd like to say something to you. There are times as parents that we can overreact and go the opposite direction, right? She wasn't out at Lake Georgetown drunk on a Friday night, illegal as a juvenile. She went six miles over the posted speed limit. The dad said to me, so do you think it was extreme in selling the car? I said, I think think it could be viewed as being extreme in selling her car that she paid $2,100 for. It could be extreme in taking away her cell phone and, and grounding her until her day in court. But you're the parents. You know, what's funny is I have very few that way. Everyone's generally the other way. Well, my kid was only drunk out at Lake Georgetown. What's the big deal? I've had that on a few occasions, right? So Samson dishonored his parents. The second truth about Samson that I think is important is that Samson deserted his promise. He had taken a Nazarite vow. As a Nazarene, there were certain things you would do and certain things you would not do, right? He took his vows and he broke those vows. In two instances where he broke the vows, the scripture says in verse 5 that he went down to the vineyard. That was a place that he would never go or should not go and was a vow that he made. The second one is a little a little less perhaps important, but it has to do with consuming uh, inappropriate animals or eating inappropriate food. The second truth that's a part of the second truth that's a part of what I'm talking about is, is when he dipped into the carcass of the dead lion that he'd killed, right, and pulled out the honey. He was consuming something that wasn't healthy for him or something that wasn't good for him. He deserted the promise that he had made. Sometimes I think we abandon the promises that we make to God because we think we know better. perhaps, Sometimes we desert the promises that we make to God. It's because our love of that is more important than our love for God. The third truth I want to share is that Samson distorted his purpose. Samson distorted his purpose. By the way, Samson, he jested a lot with those that he was about to kill, he made riddles, he made jokes. But Samson here, and I think it's really important to understand this, is that he distorted his purpose. Samson's purpose was to stand for the Lord God Almighty. At the wedding with all of the guests and the Philistines, Samson distorted his purpose because he was in the wrong crowd. That's not where he was supposed to be. Those were not his people. Those were not his family. That was not his crowd. And adults, as we go back to my story that I started a while ago, when you have a kid out at Lake Georgetown on a Friday night drinking as a minor, one of the biggest problems and the biggest challenges is not only are they breaking the law, risking their life, right? But they're in the wrong crowd. There are oftentimes in court when I ask parents, they tell me the consequences to their kids' actions, some kids that are involved in some pretty serious offenses, and they say, Judge, do you have any other recommendations? Yeah. Remove them from the crowd and their friends. Take away their friends. Because if you're not careful, your friends can kill you. Right? Samson was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Samson distorted his purpose. What's funny about Samson is that he could stand before an army and slay many, but he could not deal with a crying woman. Isn't that interesting? He stood before many. And then I put down verse 18 note to self. I thought it was pretty profound. I said it earlier. When Samson referred back to his wife, he referred to her as a heifer. Does that seem wise? Any, any guy want to say, Judge, that seems real wise? I didn't hear anybody agree with me that that seemed real. That seems kind of stupid, doesn't it? Right? So why could Samson be so arrogant and so cavalier with his words? Because he was good looking. He had muscle. He was a rock star in the community. And translated loosely, he thought he was all of that in a bag of chips right you know those people have you seen them with the swagger mhm you know the guy on the high school campus right you know the person you encounter in the workplace do you know who i'm talking about right and if you don't know who i'm talking about it may be because it's you <laughs> right kind of went there last week you'll remember that if you were here so samson distorted his purpose and then the final thing that i want to share about samson and this is a little complicated Uh, but it deals perhaps more with where I'm at than with where you're at. The fourth truth is this, is that Samson diluted his power. And we didn't get into the story a lot of Delilah, did we? We didn't talk about it at all. Because I want you to go read that story today. And then I'm going to go somewhere really dark just for a second that may surprise you, but I want you to go and read God's Word and see what it says to you. Samson diluted his power because he played games with Delilah. And by the way, you'll see that he had encounters with prostitutes on different occasions. I mean, he lived loose sexually, he lived loose in war, he lived loose with his family, and he lived pretty cavalier and pretty loose with God, too. Samson diluted his power, and in the end, it was because of a woman. I don't really think it was because of the woman. I think it was because of the pride in his life. Does that make sense? Samson diluted the power in his life because he loved things, he loved stuff, and he loved people, I believe, more than he loved God. So here's where I'm going to go that's pretty dark. In many occasions when Samson went to war or went to battle, then the scripture says, and then the power of the Lord was upon him. And in the very end with Samson... Remember, he had had his hair cut off, his eyes were gouged out. They brought him out into the middle of the Colosseum. They were mocking him, making fun of him. Remember this, right? They were mocking him, and they were making fun of him. And Samson was asking the guy that was escorting him out, can you put me between the two strong center post pillars, the two pillars that are are the the kind of the anchor for this uh, great Colosseum? And as Samson got between those two great pillars, he placed his arm one on each pillar and he cried out to the Lord and he said, Lord, one more time, give me the power. And in this last instance, in fact, the Scripture does not say, and the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him. doesn't say that at all. So Samson in his own might and his own strength pushed out on these two pillars and the Colosseum collapsed. It killed him, and it killed others. So here's the dark place I want to go here at the end. I think Samson committed suicide. He knew that his actions would cost him his life, and it would affect others. What many of you don't know is, as your justice of the peace I handle death investigations. I deal with death and dying every day of the week, sometimes many times in a day. But the one part that I haven't quite figured out how to deal with and understand is suicide. It is the one death scene that I go to and I walk away from and Everyone is completely devastated, and everyone blames themselves. And I really want you to read the story of Samson and Delilah and how the end of his life came, and you're going, well, Bill, he didn't really commit suicide. He took people out with him. Well, how is that any different than the bombers that have been in the Middle East recently or in some places in America? Samson took his own life the part of suicide that I struggle with is that people are in the midst of a mental and emotional crisis and their very last decision is very selfish. They care only about themselves and not the impact and the effect upon other people. Samson had it all, didn't he? He had the looks. He had the money. He had the swagger. He had the body. And he had the girls. But in the end, he had everything. And by the way, he lost his sight long before they gouged his eyes out. He lost his sight when pride got in the way. And arrogance got in the way. And self-centeredness got in the way. And in the end, I think Samson couldn't live with himself. And Samson couldn't live with the fact that he was imprisoned. And in the end, he thought, I'm going to take out as many people as I can here in the end. So see why I'm so disappointed about this message that the pastor left me, right? Because it's not very uplifting, right? And what is it that we can grab from this? So here's some things that I have grabbed from this. Number one, for me, I need to be very careful that I'm not full of pride and I see myself greater than God sees me. That's the number one thing. Number two that Bill Gravel has learned from this is that there is a proper person for us to marry and to be in a relationship with. And that is someone that we are equally yoked with that are people of faith like us. Right? And the third thing that I've learned from this is that you can have everything this world has to offer, fame, fortune, money, and wealth, And you can still be amazingly alone. Like Kate Spade. You can have everything and be all alone. And finally, I want to say to you this. If you're here today, and you're trying to figure out who you are and where you are with life and where God has you and wants you to be, Learn from Samson's life, but be not like him. There are so many good things that we can learn from so many that are in God's Word. Wouldn't you agree? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this morning, our time together. Lord, it's kind of a dark topic when we think about life and we think about death. We think about someone who had it all, but someone who gave it all away. God, help us to remain humble And help us to remain focused on you and with you. Lord, help us to see that you have a reason and a purpose for our life. And that our life is valuable. Lord, it's my prayer that as we finish up this message and we think about our own heart, God, that you would speak to us and teach us what you would have for us to learn today. For it's in your amazing name that we pray. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen.